You know, I got to admit, I was so tempted to be like, grunt on a greedy. <laughs> I almost said that at the start of this episode. I know, because people broke it out a couple of times in, in this case files. And I'm like, grunt on a greedy. That's such a good one. Welcome to Drock, episode 21. We're broadcasting from James Cameron block this time hmm. for reasons that I think Grant Morrison would approve of considering he is the writer of, uh, shall we say, a blockbuster-esque hmm. dread run in this. Hi, we're uh, reading through Just Dread the Complete Case Files. This time we're doing volume 19. I am Graham McMillan. With me is my regular esteemed beautiful and talented co-host, I feel I feel so I feel so seen. Hello, everyone. It's Jeff Lester. <laughs> I just like the idea that your I your name is I feel so seen. Yeah, that would be great. Hello, my name's I feel so seen. Yes. Um. Yes. Off the rails already. Yeah. Case files nineteen. <laughs> uh, we are covering two thousand eighty progs eight thirty two eight five five and Shudred magazine volume two issues twenty seven to forty three, which is roughly half a year's worth of material from both from nineteen ninety three. It's an odd era for Dread at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's especially in two thousand eighty. Wagner has stepped away at this point for you know essentially a year or so. Yeah, and Garth Ennis has taken over. Except Garth Ennis's run as as Dread Writer two thousand eight comes to an end in this volume, and so you get Ennis followed by Mark Miller, followed by some more Ennis, followed by Mark Miller, followed by Grant Morrison. Yes, yes. Which, in theory, sounds like it would be a good time. In the magazine, you meanwhile get John Smith followed by John Wagner. Yes. Uh, which I think is a better time, but we'll get to that. Indeed. Indeed Super we shall. Rather later, mm-hmm. I suspect. Did you want to know what my name was going to be for the block? If, oh, uh, yes. It was going to be uh, Gideon Starazuski. I thought you'd appreciate it. It's is Gid- that Gideon Stargrave? It's Gideon Stargrave. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Lord. Yeah. That, that's that's deep cut. I thought you would appreciate the deep cut. Lord. Yeah. Lordy, lordy. Jim. Lordy, lordy. So I, I, yeah. I, I'm very impressed. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was like, huh, this would be a good little, because, you know, Morrison being in here is kind of a big deal, you know, in its way, sort of. Certainly, I think um, it, it's interesting how much he, Miller, Ennis are all, you know, relatively huge names within comics, or at least were at various points at the at the turn of the millennium. And... Um, uh, and yet do to me for me um are still like you said not as entertaining as what we end up seeing from john smith and john it, wagner it, it's kind of amazing that smith who is not only like the the least known writer mm-hmm. of the five here mm-hmm. but also and i say this with huge affection for john smith's work mm-hmm. the least uh I was going to say coherent, which does sound very, very cruel in a way that I don't intend. But the least structured writer and the one who is much more free form and much more willing to, in his own words, uh, basically like 
get distracted and mm-hmm. forget to write an ending to his stories. How much more successful he is at aping John Wagner than, than everyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and just to be clear, one of the things that's a huge relief is after months and months and months, I don't know if you were just <coughs> trying to prep me, but after months of warning me about the about Case Files 19, I actually enjoyed a good chunk of it. And that includes um, the Morrison and the Miller stuff, which... Although the, the Miller stuff is is weirdly significantly better than the Ennis stuff it follows, yeah. Even though it is arguably much more facile and and mean. Uh, yeah. It's you know it's funny that it, well well I'm I I assume we'll dig into it. But one of the things yeah. that I think is fascinating about Miller's performance here is how much. To me, to me, I, I had a surprisingly much uh, more fondness for Miller's work in this, and I'm sure it will wear out fast because it reminds me a lot of Pat Mills. I feel like... I think that's not the first time you've made that comparison. I think and so. I, yeah. I also think you're correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the stuff, the stuff here is very brash, very fast, um... And uh, interestingly enough, tries maybe a little bit too hard. I think the one thing that I like Mills, and this is the strange part of the comparison, is Miller is unbelievably uncomfortable writing a fascist character, like which is really amazing and interesting considering some of the stuff that Miller goes on to do with, uh, among other characters, um, Captain America and the Ultimates. Uh, he, at, at this point, I feel like he is, um, is engaging in all of his dread stories here, have a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like... Dread is such a shithead in every one of these stories and that the judges are shown to be like there's there's literally scenes where they're torturing people by pulling their teeth out, you know, and and so Miller's kind of got that pushed right to the forefront. I think weirdly to me in a way that makes it to, to to make it known that he does not think that this is okay. You know, he is, he strikes me in his stories here as a far more uncomfortable with, um, with the idea of dread, uh, uh, than, than Ennis is. And it actually leads to a kind of, kind of a, it, it at least has a little bit of a different pop. You know what I mean? It's his stories have, um, they put put the pep in dyspeptic, you know, they're just they're not they're, um And then by contrast, Morrison's Inferno is a hollowed out approach to dread that that is interesting to me because it both Miller and Morrison go on after this to have um much stronger runs in American comics. Uh, and honestly, both of them have uh, 
a greater appreciation for um, DC and DC's Silver Age. It is kind of it's kind of hard to believe if you were to pick up the majority of Mark Miller's output, um, you know, since he went off and formed his own you know imprint that later got purchased for gobs of money by Netflix. Um, to think that Miller is actually a hundred times more comfortable and and do does a better job telling. Um, Silver Age style Superman stories on the Superman animated adventures comic than he does telling Judge Dredd stories in the pages mm-hmm. of 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, I feel that Morrison takes a kind of Silver Age approach in Inferno in that he's he literally is like, let's put Dredd up against his opposite, which is uh, the exiled... Um, to Titan Judge. I don't know if it's Grice or Grease. I'm assuming it, I like saying. I always Grice. thought it was Grice. I did too. Me. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm the same. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, Grice uh, and a handful of you know outlaw judges uh, escape from Titan, come crashing back into Mega City One, bringing vengeance and disease with them. And interestingly, it's an interesting decision here. Um, the the case files perhaps understandably does not reprint purgatory the yes i was going to ask if you knew about purgatory only by dint of um by dint of of jumping back and reading thrill power overload after the after the rereading these sections um but so for for people who don't know uh Morrison writes Inferno, which is a 12-part sort of mini-mega epic, mm-hmm. uh, which, as Jeff says, is about uh, Grice and a number of judges returning from Titan to attack Mega City 1. This is in, in the 2008 when it was being serialized. This was preceded by an entirely separate strip called Purgatory written by Miller mm-hmm. uh, and drawn by Iskara, Yeah, which is Geiss and the, the judges or the, the ex-judges taking over titan mm-hmm. and and initially it looked like it was an entirely separate strip and then like the dead man it ends with you know them taking off in a spaceship and being like okay we're coming to mega city one right and then it's to be continued next week in judge dread purgatory you which you haven't read mm-hmm. uh, first of all i should say in america about uh, 10 years ago or so mm-hmm. there was a uh trade released which was purgatory and inferno together you know i thought there might have been that rang a real bell to me and it's it makes for a, a, a more complete reading experience mm-hmm. but also a really schizophrenic reading experience right. because miller like purgatory is like a, a on the one hand shitty shittily written strip right like it, it's not particularly good mm-hmm. it is it's constructed sloppily it is nasty in a way that it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. and nasty in a way that it doesn't actually have an atmosphere it has characters being shitty to each other <laughs> you know like it doesn't they, they don't attempt to really build any logic or build any feel to it other than here are characters who are terrible right here are other characters who are terrible they don't like each other so they'll be terrible to each other right and there's no sympathetic character to to lean into as a reader you know it's, it's very well i think that miller at his worst at his most cynical mm-hmm. has a tendency to write here is snarky, shitty character A. Mm-hmm. Here's snarky, shitty character B. But snarky, shitty character B is a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. 
so we will support character A instead. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, in Purgatory, you don't get the NP. <laughs> They're right. all just as bad as each other. And also, it's Miller at his most unsubtle. So I want to say that you know there's there's allusions to Apocalypse Now in there and characters' names. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's very much a, like I think you're terrible, so I'm flushing you down a toilet. <laughs> Thing, you know? Well, so so, but even separate and apart from that, the jump from essentially uh, the prologue with Inferno um, to I think the the very first page of the next segment, which is you know, Grice and a bunch of judges have escaped from Titan, and it and it shows them in there, and they're talking about the virus. Make sure you've got your antivirals and. And there's just such a strange feeling of, wait, I've missed something that my initial feeling was, oh, there must be something else tying into this. Sadly, as Inferno goes on, that happens so frequently that I was like, or maybe not, you know. Well, the the strange thing is, uh, if you read both of them back to back, Mm -hmm. uh, I this is this is a strange uh, detour, but I swear it comes back. I've been reading Final Crisis this week, mm-hmm. the Morrison uh, DC event book from two thousand seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And for those who were around in those days, you'll remember that Final Crisis was preceded by Countdown to Final Crisis, <laughs> in which theoretically final crisis is set up and then you realize by the time you finish that and start final crisis that what happened was morrison wrote final crisis first and then based on i presume an outline of final crisis other writers thought we'll try and lead into this and the two just don't meet mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And, and in fact the two contradict yeah. they don't just not meet they contradict there's nothing that contradicts in purgatory and inferno but i also quite believe that purgatory was written after inferno uh is there any particular reason or indication or in uh anything you can point to to flesh that out i mean it's fine if not but i'm curious not not especially it's more that if you read the two of them together Mm -hmm. it feels like all of the story really happens in inferno right and purgatory is you know eight or nine issues of filler basically to get the judges onto that spaceship yeah so they they, they sort of drop name like lip service like oh there's a plague Mm -hmm. you know there's a virus Mm-hmm. But it's like it's more about well, what if we do like a shitty version of Aliens, mm-hmm. where they're all ex judges, but really it's also the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When I put it like that, it sounds great. I was about to say, let me add that. Not. Yeah, no, exactly. In fact, one of the things that is very frustrating is is like just just to be clear, if you forced me at gunpoint to 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 pick one. Um, Megaprog between Judgment Day and Inferno, I would definitely choose Inferno. On, oh yeah, me too. On the other hand, if you ch- get basically said like, out of all the Megaprogs that you've read, which one would you most vote for a rewrite? Um, it would be Inferno. I feel Inferno has I, really I good votes on it. <laughs> Rob Williams basically rewrote Purgatory and Inferno as the Titan and oh, right. which you quite art. liked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I turns both of these things which are not particularly great into a genuinely great piece of dread fiction. I believe it. I believe it. 
I believe it. Because there, because Inferno, there's as we'll get into, has a lot of um, really good bones, but also has some not just like missed opportunities that all but make me weep in a way. I mean, Inferno is a great idea, like a genuinely great idea. Yeah. Because it's it's a very obvious idea. Mm-hmm. There is a planet where they ship the bad judges away to. Right. The bad judges come back and they want revenge. Is great. Yeah, yeah. It's a genuinely great idea. Yeah. Um, the idea that it is led by a character that longtime Dread readers know. Yes, absolutely. We've seen Grice. We've seen Grice's fall from power. In this. That's right. That's right. You no, know? that's a great hook as well. Mm-hmm. Morrison's execution is. Uh, not great to say the least. Yeah, he leads into the 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 sort of the cliche of dread. You know, yeah, like it's turn turns into an action movie where every now and again there'll be really, I mean, not exactly sort of catchphrases, although they kind of are. Oh yeah, but but the you know action movie logic over subtlety, and it seems strange saying subtlety because even at this point, dread is not a particularly subtle strip, right? But but there is more subtlety than Morrison brings to it. Well, you know? so I, I think that I think the two things that it really that really bum me out uh, is that there is a, I think perhaps arguably mistakenly that Morrison is, for lack of a better term, um, he can be a restless writer. And on the one hand, it's I think his one of his biggest failings. I also think it can be one of his biggest strengths because he will either get bored with a narrative and then figure out how to pivot it, pivot from it um, in a way that will keep him interested, you know, two thirds of the way through from when he conceived of it, or he will actually, if he's really into what a character quote unquote means, he will dig into that as well. There, yeah. because Miller, I think, like uh, Morrison, like Miller, is just not happy or comfortable with the idea of making the case for a fascist super cop. Um, he plays it as disposable Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Fun. Well, he also the the stakes are too high. Inferno goes for broke mm-hmm. so much that it's all meaningless. Well, but okay, so I agree I with think, you. What? Like I I feel because Inferno's like we've destroyed the Hall of Justice, we've drowned all the prison. Like the judges are 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 literally just killing all the the prisoners because they can't risk them escaping. Right. Like it goes does all these things, but gives them literally no space. Yeah. Well, that's so it, that's it half of like, it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That, like that's a real problem. Yeah. But it's also. Morrison doesn't really seem interested in any of it. He seems interested in it for the fireworks, and that's it. Well, I I do feel like if ever there's a case that so, it feels like someone's trying to craft a calling card, uh, Inferno makes the case for it. Um, which uh, again, there's things that don't uh, have time to breathe. There's some really weird, odd choices. This is the other thing: is I feel that Morrison is super aware. And driven, perhaps, because it's the, 
what the hell was the marketing event called? It's not Summer the of Love. Summer Offensive. The it's Summer Offensive. Summer. Yeah, because it's the Summer Offensive, I really got the sense that that Morrison is writing in largely six-page chunks, sometimes seven-page chunks, but always kind of being like, I'm going to have kind of whatever the maximum cliffhanger that I can squeeze out of this is. Well, okay, so let's let's sort of explain the summer offensive for people who don't know. Right. Morrison takes over Dread, and the Inferno thing runs for the uh, the twelve weeks that took up what was called the summer offensive right. of ninety three for two thousand eighty. The summer offensive was Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, and John Smith mm-hmm. as a, as a collective of, of writers deciding that two thousand eighty had essentially become too brainy. And that in the process, it had lost some of what they believed was the punk attitudes of the originals issues. Right. Or at least that's how it was presented at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, since then, we've had at least Miller say, like, I wasn't a 2008 reader. I didn't really know. Yeah. You know, and, and Morrison, to some extent, has also done that. Mm-hmm. You know, Morrison's pretty much been like, I didn't really, like, I didn't grow up with 2008. I grew up with American comics. Right. Got, you know, I wrote to the nitty, but it wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's perhaps facetious for them to position it as, you know, 2008 used to be this great thing, then it got boring. But that was the positioning at the time. Right. Summer Offensive then was, in theory, Morrison and Miller taking over as de facto editors for, for three months. Mm-hmm. With, with the exception of Dreads, everything was all new. Mm-hmm. They created four additional all new stories, either written by Morrison or written by Miller, or written by Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, all of them were intended as almost anti-intellectual. Mm-hmm. So you had Really and Truly, which, you know, Morrison, yeah, it, it's Morrison and Ryan Hughes. Morrison famously wrote it in like eight hours, the entire 12 parts in eight hours, while tripping his head off. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a, like a modern summer of love story, mm-hmm. right? And, and honestly, it makes no sense. You have Miller and Steve Yole doing Pussy, uh, not Pussy Foot Five, what was it called? Maniac Five. Mm-hmm. And Maniac Five is, for all intents and purposes, like proto Pacific Rim. Mm. It's a man, like a man sticks his brain into a robot and kills aliens. Mm-hmm. The end. I can't remember the name of John Smith, but John Smith and Paul Marshall did one, which was more or less dinosaurs in rollerball. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be called Slaughter Bowl, if I remember. Yeah, I think it was called Slaughter Bowl. I think you're right. Yeah. And Morrison and Miller and Steve Parkhouse collaborated on Big Dave, the which is Big honestly, Dave. Yeah, but also like the only really successful one there. Big Dave was very much a parody of Ladism and and of the Sun and of tabloid thinking and wrote everything it's it's an adventure story from the point of view of everything that the the british tabloids say is true mm-hmm. but more so and the right wing is the only way of thinking all the right wing cliches are, are true mm-hmm. and here is britain's toughest man who is you know basically a thug from a council estate mm-hmm. and he's going to save the world mm-hmm. right it was it was very purposely designed to offend, but also it was funny as fuck. It was very, very funny. Mm. Um, and also, like, offensive on, on, offensive on so many levels. That if it got reprinted now, which I wish it would, but if it got reprinted now, it, everyone would just be like, well, this is, you, you can't. Like, right. You, just, you right. just can't. Yeah. Um, because it was. It was like sexist. It was homophobic. It was racist. It was all of those things. Right. But it was 
simultaneously a parody of all of those things, but, you know, in such a way that uh, you really can't get away with it. Yeah. Inferno was like the one holdover. Right. Right. It's Dread, but it's Dread reimagined for the Summer Offensive. So you have basically Dread with the subtlety stripped out because mm. they didn't want subtlety. Right. They want Dread as action movie. Ah, uh, thank you. Right. And that's what Morrison delivers. Mm-hmm. But it's still part of Dread. You know what I mean? It's still part of this this thing that has existed and it still exists in the same way. And so you feel the lack yeah. of that thing. Yeah. Well, and I think so. So you would ask me kind of if I you know, more or less felt the lack or if it felt too big for there to be anything there. And for me, I'll tell you, there's a point relatively early on where uh, the judges are in a hall of justice. They are under siege. Grice and his people have, have crash landed and, you know, are bringing disease and killing the judges in the streets and begin gassing the hall. And, um, Magruder, Chief Judge Magruder says we have to evacuate, and Dread says like we can't, we can't give give up the hall to them, and Magruder says, you know, the law isn't a place, Dread, it's it's us, and and I have to say there is part of me that wishes, and and I appreciate the context of oh, I really understand why this Grant Morrison did not show up. The Grant Morrison that actually could sort of ex- um, examine, even if it's just in very broad strokes, kind of the concept of the law. Uh, uh, you know, what what is the law? Weirdly enough, after months and months and months of, of reading these things, and it could just be, you know, my own internal timer kind of pinging. But I, I found myself being like, well, you know, kind of like the law does law does not exist in nature. You know what I mean? Like there's scientific rules of nature. There's things what we call the laws of physics or whatever, which are to say things are happen in certain ways, more or less under certain conditions all the time because of basic properties and principles. The law as it exists in society and culture is is a construct. And it seems to me that Morrison in particular, who is a guy who is interested in the necessity of construction, you know, like his interest in pop is uh, and how that it builds outwards across his career is very much on the idea of people make things and then what they, what is made can either change for um, the people that create it or the people that have to live in it for better or for worse. You know, um, you talk about final crisis, you know, literally his Superman 3d, uh, tie-in adventure to final crisis is is about superman the final fight is superman in a realm of ideas and he is a thought form fighting another thought form and which you know morrison has has touched on before but make goes super explicit there and kind of revisits the 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 flip negative side of that in um in multiversity uh 
And so I kind of found this idea of like, oh, maybe Morrison's really going to talk about the law, you know, because it starts off with this idea of Magruder says like the law is not is 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 it's not a place. It is essentially it is essentially people. It is a construct. And in that sense, um, you get the idea that in a way that there's the Silver Age, to the extent that Grice is the, is the anti-dread, it's precisely because both of them walk around saying that they are the law. It's just that Grice, um, part of what he goes on to say is, you know, while calling himself the Lord of Mis- Misrule, there's, a, there's more than a touch of... Um, uh, the day the law died and Judge Cal, you know, in in just one or two pages of shorthand where at one point, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. you know, Grice is like, you know, I uh, not laughing is illegal one day and then I illegal. It's illegal to laugh on the next, you know. Mm-hmm. And so essentially he's like, I am the law, which means that uh, uh, in essence, the law is capricious and chaotic and can be changed um and 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 essentially you can't in a way you almost can't pervert it uh and the counterpoint to it is dread who of course you know is known for saying that you know i am the law for bajillions of years here um at this point shows up and says it again a couple of times and there's repeated points where Grice says, like, the system that you represent is kind of, you know, look at you. You're sick and injured and dying just like the system you support. It's, of course, it's all just empty posture, Reen. There's mm-hmm. no way in which any of that is shown, illustrated, demonstrated, or anything. But I did find myself being like, oh, man, like... In a way, I found myself really wanting. Part of why I want the Inferno do-over is, is among other things, there's kind of this feeling of you could almost get someone like Morrison doing uh, a little bit like something like Wagner builds to with the whole, you know, letter from a Democrat cycle, you know, in through America and everything, which is this very pointed critique of the police state um, to, to flip that around and have Morrison be like, Hey, you know what? Like once you have laws, you essentially have a police state, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so I kind of felt like there's a way in which maybe we could get there, but because it's kind of the Morrison who's like, like I said, showing up to, make a calling card and a paycheck and to have a successful blah, blah, blah. And again, not really willing in any way to, to tackle the character because dread can't really stand for anything. Grice really can't stand for anything either. So exactly. If, if Grice is dreads alternate, yeah. If he's his opposite, mm-hmm. then if dreads isn't, if dread is an empty figure, then so is Grace. Right. You know, and that's what, that's honestly one of the problems with Inferno. Absolutely. That, it undercuts the reality of dread mm-hmm. for one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, Grice just becomes this cartoonish villain who just shouts a lot. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And there and there is a way of I mean, the thing that's really funny and weird is in the second half of the book of of this volume, you've got John Wagner doing the return of Mechanismo and yep. what the stuff that's happening in Mechanismo is way more gripping, way more interesting and arguably messing around a lot more with the idea of mirror images of dread and possibly ideas about what it what what it means to to quote unquote keep the peace and and what you know Wagner being Wagner it's you can almost feel it as an undercurrent without it necessarily having to be made manifest in part because, you know, he is willing to, he's, he's invested enough in dread. He's unafraid of what dread can represent to give color and texture to, to the opposite. And yes, yes. And so, Precisely because you don't think of that, because none of that ends up in Inferno, all you get is some really gorgeous work by Carlos Escara, and that's the other big lesson it, I feel. It's true. Yeah. Like Escara could make anything work, and I think that one of the reasons that Inferno is something that I have the nostalgia for that I have, mm-hmm. even because it's not a particularly good piece of writing, it's not a particularly subtle piece of writing, but Iscara draws the living crap out of it. Oh my god! And I mean, again, in this weird way that also feels very different from, like, say, Necropolis. You know, he's just doing mm-hmm. different stuff and laying on different effects and. There's all there's he just really pushes the cartooning forward in Inferno in a way that's just fabulous. So, yeah, his, you know, his choice, so many his color choices are exquisite in Inferno. I'm assuming he's doing the coloring. Is yeah, he? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's painting. Yeah. It's lovely. It's it's such beautiful artwork. Yeah. I just want to say a couple of things really quickly to start to 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 tie in with what you're saying. Morrison's writing before we we. You know, go on and talk. Honestly, just talk more about how great Iscara is. Yeah. When Magruder says, you know, the law isn't a thing, we are the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is literally just playing off of Dred's catchphrase. Yes. Right? He's, right. He, Morrison isn't necessarily making a grander point as much as he's doing the other thing that he's very good at, which is looking at the iconography of a character. Yes. And tweaking it slightly to make it seem new. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Magruder's comment is that much more than it's any comment on the uh oh agreed agree of, of law yeah yeah no no, no 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 yeah like i said uh, i walked I, I, away I, I, from I, I, it very I, hungry i i just want to point out yeah as you know there's lots of times where i'm like is it in there or is it me and you're usually like it's you jeff and in this particular case i do not think that that stuff sadly is in in inferno um, I, yeah yeah I, I think it is. I think it's Morrison just being very good at making it seem like there's more there than actually is, mm-hmm. which is something he's very good at doing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, this is 93, so, like, Morrison's about to do The Invisibles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, Morrison probably knows writing The Invisibles at the same time as he's writing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's strange to sort of think of his writing dread at the same time or in preparation for writing the invisibles, you know, you made reference with the Gideon Stargrave thing at the start of the episode mm-hmm. through the invisibles and the invisibles is of course his, his 
yeah, stylishly anarchistic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, series. Yeah. Which again, you know, as someone who's reading at the time, I completely fucking bought into the time. But, but I think it might be just another of Morrison's uh, very smart sort of reinventions of himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, tying in with what is happening culturally in trends these seem but it's it's strange to it's strange to think at the same time as he's writing the you know like the ultimate fuck the system story mm-hmm. he's also at least dropping into dread which in many senses is the opposite of that right right you know and it is the 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 end point or an end point for the opposite viewpoint right um but but whereas I think the incre- the Incredibles the Invisibles did actually have a dialogue with the concepts that it was dealing with. Oh, definitely. Infernal yeah. doesn't. Infernal literally turns everything into like punching or, or violence. Yeah, there's something to that if you can accept it. Basically, if this is dread the movie mm-hmm. and turn your mind off. Like it zips along. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like Rice is so cartoonish a villain. Mm-hmm. And the threat is so ridiculous that you can be like, sure, like I am fine with with ignoring all the subtext of dread and just watching him beat up the bad guy, you know. Well, yes, I mean, I I think I think what is fascinating to me, and again, that idea that both Miller and Morrison went on to be like. Yeah, we weren't 2000 AD guys, ultimately. I feel that really shows. Like, I am fascinated by the way in which Morrison has things that he's clearly sat down and did the research. So I swear to God, there's a point in the Megaprogs where he's like, okay, in all the most successful Megaprogs, Walter the Wobot has to show up. You know what I mean? Like, but it's yeah, almost like, like he doesn't get like that's not Dred's imaginary friend. Like, you know, yeah. like he's but just also, like he must have done some research to use Grice. Well, no, right? Again, Grice. I mean, Grice is a character who appeared and who has had a very particular like purpose in the story. Yeah, you don't just choose Grice by mistake unless he literally went to editors and were like, "Okay, who's a judge who might have a grudge?" Right. Judges with grudges. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that's it. I think he did do his research. The, the, the ending. One of the things that also breaks my heart is that the ending of Inferno is yet again another um, reheated warm over of the Apocalypse War, right? And it really, honestly, could have been something more. Like, I'll tell you, the other thing that occurred to me was. Uh, while reading Inferno was a little bit of the idea of how great would it be if part of the problem of Inferno is the fact that judges more or less really can't kill judges. You know what I mean? Like if nothing else, this feels like the same sort of problem that, that you run into in real life with the police, which is to say they're all, you know, the the band of brothers and the thin blue line. And, and essentially, they're all quick to stick up for each other because they're all pretty aware. They feel that no one's kind of been through the shit that they've been through, right? One of the things that's, I think, kind of interesting about Inferno as it develops is, is that, <clears throat> for the most part, 
it depends on whether or not sort of how you think of Titan to me is is an is kind of an important part of Inferno is the idea that a crooked judge is so vile that they are sent to spend their lives working, you know, in a labor camp on a on a harsh planet. Like part of me is like, but is isn't that still better than being dead? You know what I mean? Like, isn't yeah, exactly. It, the judges will turn around and kill citizens with tremendous amounts of impunity. It's literally they are able of carrying out that sentence without a second thought upon citizens on the street. But when it comes to their own, they actually then turn around and rather than kill them, exile them to another planet. And part of me would almost appreciate in in a way the exploration of that even just touching on it a little would add so much to dread's final decision to just blow up that spaceship because the fact that everyone on who sees it happen is freaked the fuck out part of me is like well sure because you've got to have that reaction to realize what you know kind of what a big man you know, dread is. And so the dreads whole, like, I guess grace is right. I was getting soft, you know, is kind of, uh, you know, typical dread, you know, punchline, but there's part of me where I'm like, it could actually be pretty cool if part of what the judges do. And it's part of what grace kind of, it's part of what grace's realization is, isn't so much the, you know, when he's beating Dredd up and he's like, ah, I used to admire you. You were a hard man. But then I realized up on Titan, you were soft and you're getting softer all the time. You know, it's like all the phallocentric um, flaccidity erection, you know, stuff going into overdrive. It'd be really more interesting if like Grice is like, you know what? The judges are full of shit in part because they can't even kill crooked judges like we see ourselves as special and I'm going to punish you for it. And you deserve to be punished because you literally created this out for yourself of no matter how bad you get, the worst that's going to happen to you if you get caught is you're still going to live. And I'm going to make sure you're not. There, there's there's something in purgatory. And I think the point is actually made more forcefully in Titan later on mm-hmm. that Basically, if you if you are sent to Titan, it's kind of worse than death. Yes. No. Exactly. The, the, right. the implication is like it, it really is mm-hmm. because you continue to suffer. Right. Death is the end of suffering. Yeah. And in Titan, you know, they you are you're you're a slave. Mm-hmm. You're a slave to to support the the Earth and support the colonies, but also in order to be a slave, they rip out your nose yes you know like they 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 literally turn you into a machine mm-hmm. in order to be a thing and there is you know there's definitely an argument to be made that it's it's a fate worse than death which i think question mark was the idea when it was first invented yes but there's also the reading that you're talking about which is sure but these are people who have no problem killing citizens for jaywalking right 
Right. I mean, you even know, if you so take what it, it, what does it yeah. say mm-hmm. that they they just can't do that for uh, for bad judges? Right. And and weirdly, that is underscored by the Garth Ennis stories that we've seen prior to this. Mm-hmm. You know, where you've seen Raider. Mm-hmm. You know, which again was sort of stuck out in like a sore thumb because why didn't he take the long walk if he retired as a judge? Right. But nonetheless, like he was a a, a former judge who who was going around and being a vigilante, and it seemed, again, special that Dredd was going after him. Yeah, right. You know, like, that seemed unusual. It felt like, you know, only Dredd would dare do this underscores how lax the rest of the judges are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I I think you're, I think you're making a good point. I think it's, again, I'm not sure it's a point that Morrison's considering. Oh, not at all. Yeah. I I think the cartoonish nature of... Yeah like he's literally a bad judge and he's come back to destroy Mega City 1 yeah is is just like too delicious to avoid but the problem is like we said they don't explore it but again Iskar's artwork's lovely Iskar's art is lovely and I I, you know it is one of the things that that (coughs) makes me sad in a way is Iskar's art's lovely the bones of Inferno are great and I think the the thing that's sort of a bummer is how much the the what I think of as the classic mega progs tend to sprawl. I mean, you know, the exception is is it the Judge Child one where they just got tired and like and like yanked the chain on it early? Um, it's City of the Damned. City, City of, of the, the Damned, Damned right? Is when they get like thirteen episodes in, they're like, yeah, fuck it, let's just go back, right? So and we, but that aside, there there's always like even in in stuff like necropolis there's there's these great change-ups where it's like all of a sudden you get additional characters in there i'm i find it hilarious if but also depressing um how much we get two new characters uh on the first page two pages of inferno who two judges who do do literally nothing not a fucking thing and again it sort of feels like i feel that morrison dutifully did his homework he's kind of aware that wagner grant tended to introduce other characters in it you know it during the course of the mega progs or even just even just in dread as it is but like these these characters are so limp i mean it's it's really grant morrison pulling leftovers out of the fridge you know especially 90s morrison where he's kind of like oh you know i've got like a a hip sassy woman and i have you know an indian man who is alternately you know ultra down to earth and quasi mystical boom you know, and it's just like, and then does nothing with him. Again, the thing with Walter, Walter shows up out of nowhere and then fucks off. Like, I'm like, what happened to him? Where is there? There's just so much bad plotting in here that honestly felt like Morrison was like, I got to wrap this up. Like, we literally have everyone escape from the Hall of Justice. Bar- uh, Judge Hershey shows up out of nowhere, guns people down in one of the few moments that is poorly, an action sequence that is poorly delivered. 
They all fly off, and literally, more or less, as soon as they land outside the city in the Cursed Earth, um, Magruder hops on a bike and fucks off, and Dread fucks off after her. Now, mind you, I both thought they were going in further into the Cursed Earth, and it wasn't until the next chapter that I was like, oh, they're... They just went back? <laughs> they went back? Yeah, exactly. Why? Like, and that is really it's really shit and doesn't seem to exist for any other situation other than oh we've got to get these characters back into the hot water and we have to do it in a way that is very quick whereas honestly um you know wagner and grant would have toyed with the idea of like okay here's a bunch of judges in the cursed earth who are dying of a disease, have basically two weeks to live. If yeah. nothing else, there's going to be like, and now we're going to throw an additional complication at them, which is essentially. But the, but also we should, we should say that, you know, if Wagner Grant were doing it and it was a mega epic, it'd be twice the length. Absolutely. And that is one of the things that, that is really funny for me is Inferno is like the epitome of that classic joke of, such terrible food and such small portions, you know, <laughs> it, it's like part, it could be the food could be better, but also part of what, what suffers is the fact that it feels stingy, um, uh, which is, which is, uh, which is a shame. Cause again, the bones are, the bones are so solid here, you know, they, you really could do just a ton of things. I mean, you have done it. That's the thing. Wagner and Grant did some awesome stuff with Mad Judge takes over Mega City One. You know, that's great. Throw in the additional thing of, um, you know, I think you were talking about this in the um, the recent Dread Epic, the Mega Prog that's running with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse yeah, yeah, and Dread. Yeah. You know. There is something where be, I think because the Meg Mega City One is to me a character, but is a, such an essential part of Dread that it lends itself very well to biblical disasters, you know, mm -hmm. plagues, and like part of me is like, yeah, you could totally go to town with that, but. Um, yeah, you just, you know, so all of which is to say there could have been so much that was done here and I really wanted to see it done. But like sections where like Dread gets the shit beaten out of him with a hammer and then gets pulled away and then they're like, we need a plan. And he's like, here's a plan. I'm going to kick their ass. And I was like, oh, this is. Oh, yeah. No, no. That, you know, and that sounds like an exaggeration, except for anyone who's read it. And it's literally there's this panel where he's he's got a, a day stick. Yeah. And he's like, I got your plan right here. Yeah. And it's just, oh, man, I will say this, however, we've just talked for like, what, half an hour, 45 minutes about how bad Inferno is. Mm -hmm. It's still far better than the end of stories that start off this, this volume. Uh, that start off this volume? I literally, Inferno is is better than I I would argue just about anything that Ennis has written for Dread. Um, I, Ennis, I, for my notes for this, I put, Ennis doesn't just go out with a whimper, it's terrible. <laughs> That is too funny. Um, Ennis, Ennis, it's, it's, there's, he does 
uh, only a handful of stories here. Uh, the introduction of Johnny Kiss, the latest in Ennis's badasses who do absolutely nothing, is is abominable. Well, that was definitely the kind of like, oh, I'm teasing a character that's later going to be big, and I'm and I'm like, boy, come back. Oh, I'm so back. sorry to hear that because I have to say, I'm like, it would be great if we never saw. It him would be again. hilarious if he never came back. Yeah, exactly. I- no, what's really funny. So you get that, and then you get the Chieftain, which is another, like, none more Ennis story. Oh, completely. Of, like, the hard man who comes into town to take care of business. Yeah. And then, shockingly, Ennis's last one as a regular contributor to Just Dread is the fucking Muzak killer return. Yes, yeah. Of all the characters that no one wanted to see again. Well, exactly. Except I kind of feel that the Muzak killer was probably the closest one to where... He felt like he nailed it, you know. I mean, it's funny. The Chieftain, I, I want to go back and shout out to because you mentioned your notes. My notes actually for the Chieftain are uh, four photo references in a funeral, uh, which I thought was very... <laughs> the art again is lovely. Oh, it's lovely. The Chieftain works the best in part because I got to admit, there is part of me that, that loves the fucking intelligent bagpipe the bagpipes yeah, the psycho yeah, piper said, yeah the bagpipes that are uh, a psychopathic robot is kind of great it has yeah. to be said it is it is the closest that ennis really again, comes to being inspired yeah and again the artwork's great yes um i think it's it mick austin who, who paints that um but yeah he, I don't he does he does an amazing job like a genuinely great job you know it's actually really funny because this volume the other reason why i feel like this volume is much more uh a pleasant experience is the art is much better overall like you say that but i think the magazine stories are actually abominably illustrated i i get I think it the has some terrible art in there mm, i i, I mean, there's some great stuff in the in the 2008 issues and, yeah. and it is, I just looked up, it's Mick, Chieftain is Mick Austin, and he does he does some beautiful art. He really does. Although, um, like I said, it's a little too photo-referenced for me. As much as I love it, like the Chieftain himself, literally you can watch his nose like break and unbreak from panel to panel. And there's one point where it's literally like a Val Kilmer photo-reference. That's a little yeah. distracting. But it is... It is um, it's by and large, it's excellent and it's got a weight to it. Whereas by contrast, once again, Brett Ewins shows up to do a kind of, hey, I'm here to not draw well, hey, for the the judge who lives downstairs. And uh, that was that was pretty rough. But by contrast, I mean, I think the stuff happening, the at least the Zosaurus, is that his name? Zosaurus? How it? Yeah, uh, the, on on the magazine issues. Yeah, um, yeah. There's um, he's his X A U, sorry X U A S U S. Yeah, I I don't know. I genuinely don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, he does he does a chunk of that stuff. He yeah, does a chunk of the the John mag- Smith mag- serial killer uh, opener that is um, I think is is actually pretty well done. The the some of the other stuff that follows I'm coolish about, but, and then by the time we get to the return of Mechanismo, although, you know, the guy 
drawing it is no like well isn't it isn't it pete doherty he, does the second one and then the first one is uh, pete colin, Dur- yeah, colin mcneil is the first one yeah pete doherty is the second one, and then manuel bennett and this is his only dread yeah and i think it's actually quite lovely it's different but it's really it worked for me anyway so so i'm i'm actually overall i was a fan of most of the art in this um the mark miller's it's funny that somehow that mark miller got tapped to to bring the racist story for this volume it seems i it seems unsurprising (laughs) in a way yeah. yeah, but uh, but the art on that by Paul Marshall is is actually pretty lovely for well, the most part. The other thing about that is, because that's the last of the 2008 stories, that's a surprise read because we've just finished Inferno. Mm-hmm. And the very next story is as much of, you know, as unsubtle foreshadowing as you can imagine, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It literally ends with, there's a threat coming! Yeah. And, you know... The thing, and it's kind of surprising. It's a very nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's a very nice story that they're like, okay, we finished a mega epic. Here's another mega epic that's coming. Yeah, it is kind of breathless. Miller's stuff is is actually, especially compared with the Anna stuff, it's it's serviceable. It's completely oh, fine. Very much so. Very much so. You know, like it's 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 not inspired. It's not doing anything that you wouldn't expect it to do. And as you said, he is more Pat Mills in execution. Mm-hmm. But it's fine work. No, it absolutely just, like, I is. I was surprised how strong it was. Yeah. I remember it being much worse. Yeah. But it is, it does the job. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because it's funny that you mentioned that that's the, the last story from the 2000 AD. There's actually Judge Tyrannosaur that follows it. That is, oh God! So there is, I forgot. Yeah, which which is maybe it's because you've got you've got Miller and and in the other stories through here, like at least two of his five stories, maybe three. He's been is Ron Smith drawing it, who by the way is great in color. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, I kind of had that thing of like, yeah. The the sad fact of the matter is, I'm a little iffy about Tough Justice, frankly, but um. But there's a there's a lot of stuff in there where like Miller's whole thing of um, the thought theft. It's like there's a there's just a caption where he says something like thought theft. It's the the latest crime fad sweeping the Mega City one. And I was just like, it's creepy how much closer Miller is to getting that aspect of dread than Ennis. You know, you know what it weirdly is? It reads very much like the newspaper strip version of Dread, mm. which I was written by Wagner and Grant for years. Might still at that point have been written by Wagner and Grant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in later years would be written by Miller. Interesting. Curiously enough. Okay. Um, but I wonder. But it, it tends to because it was literally a newspaper strip, right? Mm-hmm. It would it would open with like you know, the caption is like ah fucking you know laser crime. Yes, exactly, exactly. No, because I had to get the information over that in that that quickly. Yeah, and I, I and I that's really what the what Miller stuff reminded me of, and also uh, perhaps importantly, even though it's written by Wagner Grant, the newspaper strip is the cartoonish version of Dread, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's the no nonsense, tough cop punchline, right? Version of Dread, which is what Miller's writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if if that's the thing, if if Miller's is 
basically like that's his dread for want of a better way of putting it you know it it would make it would make a lot of sense it really would make a lot of sense um because there is there's just a there's a real pep that's here even even something i thought the great brain robbery even though it has just some ridiculous behavior uh, like you know where you know stuff that is that is very Mark Miller, like someone being like, you'll never catch me. I'm like, I've got the, I've something like I've got the fastest two legs in Mega City one or something like that clumsy a setup for having dread, like shoot the guy's legs off. Like there's yeah. still like, it, like even, even something as ridiculously, I mean, honestly, Ennis, who's like a huge dread fan, his really been about as subtle as that for several volumes and never really delivering anything quite as great as a bunch of rich dudes sitting around talking about all the great memories that they've purchased and the one guy and i do love this the one guy who was like yeah i totally purchased the best one that i ever had was like you know i purchased the memory of somebody paying off a poor piece of person's medical bills and the and the other rich guys being like you're sick you know and and the thing that i loved about that really was like the this guy being like yeah it felt great to do something for someone else and and having no interest in doing it again but yeah, being exactly. willing yeah. to purchase I, I, that i love yes yeah. i love so i love that someone else did this yeah exactly just kind of like this is such a good feeling i'd never do it again and i'm just like Wow, that it it there's little bits and pieces where again, sort of like Mills, I think Miller's um where Miller's lack of subtlety is um is is something that works for him, you know. Um I also love the fact as an American comics reader that even though it's uh, a spoof on Vito Corleone Coriolone from the the Godfather that it's Vita Coletta, um, you know that essentially I'm like, oh please let that be a Vince Coletta shout out. Which I mean, it's, it's Miller, it almost certainly is. I would think so. I would think so. So it's kind of fun that it's like, oh, here's kind of a rare kind of American comic shout out. So I mean, I got to get that. But yeah, no, and I think I think Ron Smith did a lot of the Judge Dread dailies as well. So. Yes, he did. But I I think that they, I, like like they're they're doing something that is recognizably dread mm-hmm. in a way that like Annas has been doing stuff that is recognizably dread because it looks like dread, right. but felt I don't know too self conscious. Well, right. Do something as, I mean, honestly, fucking dumb as the Great Brain Robbery. Right. Or whatever the one is where, where they, they just rip off uh, Reservoir Dogs. Well, the great and, thing and, about ripping off Reservoir Dogs. Sorry, sorry. Let me get to, the, you should get to the end of your thought. Because there is see, something that's like great the, about that. The, they can't agree who's Mr. Red. He shoots them on as like, they all look like Mr. Red to me. It's like, it's a fucking dumb joke. Right. But it's a funny joke. Well, see, that's it. A, it's a funnier dumb joke than most of Ennis's stuff, which really tends, like, nothing in Muzak Killer, the return to Muzak Killer, really lands. You know, it, it's it's all supposed to be funny, but it's just not funny in the same way. And I will give Miller credit that Reservoir Dogs thing runs a page and a half and it's literally in sort of, again, kind of a silver age staple or, you know, 
or closer to a spirit staple, a bunch of kids talking about, you know, some kid gets a gun and is basically like, hey, let's go do some crimes. And all the other kids are like, no, don't do that. You'll get, you know, you should hear what you'll get caught by Judge Dredd. And here's what he did to my, you know, here's what blah, blah, blah. In other words, it's that weird, like Miller's three short story pitches that more or less got rejected. He's like, fuck it. I'll just put them all into one story. Now will you take it? And it and it works. It's a five. It's like five or six pages. It's for for it not being for again it not really being quote unquote dread when he sort of shows up and like arrests them all for having the gun anyway. It's still got shit like you said that Reservoir Dogs joke is dumb but funnier. Uh, and faster, yeah, and faster, like that, and that could that be a chunk would, of that it. That joke would have been the entire episode. Yeah, the the whereas the fact that it gets to you have to wait to part three to have Sinead O'Connor's brains blown out. Which... Oh my god, the music killer thing is just—it's also so funny because, like the first music killer, it feels very much like Ennis is like incredibly anal about what he loves and what he hates. And he's like, but I'm, I'm writing Judge Dredd now, so I don't like the show The Word, mm. which is like the show that he's parroting. And I really don't like the hosts, so I'm going to like make fun of them in three different episodes. Right, right. You know, and one of them so dumb that, get this, she can be shot in the head, but they can't find the brain. Right, yeah. And exactly. it's like, there's something weirdly petty about it. Oh, like, very it, much so. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah, it's, I'm so... I I did not think, based on my memories, that I would be saying this. Mm-hmm. But honestly, based on reading 19, I'm so glad that Ennis has gone and it's gone and Miller's here. Yeah. Which is shocking to me. I that is, that is a genuine stuff. shock, yeah. I exactly. genuinely remember the Miller stuff being much worse. Mm-hmm. And the Miller stuff isn't... I mean, it's not Wagner, right? Which means it's not the best trade. And it's not, you know... I say that, but, you know, today, for example, you've got an Al Ewing, you've got uh, Rob oh, Williams, yeah. you've got Arthur White, you've got writers who are up there with with Wagner, at least in terms of tone. Mm-hmm. Like, Wagner is always going to be the best because he's literally the guy who fucking did it all, right? Right, right. But, you know, you have writers who basically can match him in terms of tone and mm-hmm. are writing the same character. Yeah, exactly. And that's not what's happening here. But at the same time, Miller and even Morrison yeah. are far more entertaining Right, than than Ennis managed to be, and Ennis was on the book for like three years. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's true. There is a there's a part where, again, in through power overload, um, Ennis says something like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially, it's like I just I was too I was too frozen in reverence. My work just wasn't good. Like he's, he was like, you know, he's like, yeah, the, he's right. yeah." You know, and he is. He absolutely is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go on to the magazine stories. The magazine stories are evenly split between, or they're not evenly split, uh, but they're split between John Smith and John Wagner. That's right. Smith does the first handful, and then Wagner basically brings up the rear. Smith's stuff is good. I I would actually go as far as to say that, like, his his Madonna parody, the the LaDonna story, Mm -hmm. it read like a Wagner strip to me. It did to me, too. Like, like very strongly Wagner strip. I think he got the the voice incredibly closely. Well, one, you know? one of the things that throws me off, one of the things that I enjoy about Drock and is also frustrating is the second half of the case files are the magazine, which don't have credits. So, 
volume, Jeff. Good news. <laughs> the volume does start breaking down the credits for the story. So. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, that is quote unquote good news because I actually found myself enjoying the puzzle of trying to figure out who was writing things because both the the LaDonna story and because, you know, half the time you're like, is this Wagner or is this Grant? And the weird thing is, is I was really aware that the John Smith stories were not Grant. And I was like, they could be Wagner. The, the LaDonna story, I think, is very strongly Wagner. The, the serial killer story before that jigsaw killer story is has a couple of like really telltale it's John Smith signs. Ah. There's the psychic. There's the page where the psychic is reading the mind. Yeah, and it has John Smith's incredibly purple prose, which I love. Again, I'm a John Smith fan. Yeah, but like no one else writes like that, where it goes a face, a face, a face, blurred voices, sounds running like colors, the dynamo wine of his mind, and right. she's in, and yeah. none of it has punctuation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, that's or right, so John Smith. Well, but you know exactly, but. But Wagner, Wagner and Grant are two, are two guys, and I think Wagner more than Grant. Wagner is more willing to experiment yes. with voice yes. or storytelling. And so part of me is like, because I'm not as familiar with Smith, I'm like, this could be Wagner. The very, the very strange thing about that first story, the Jigsaw Killer story, is mm-hmm. um, Smith writes it with an omniscient narrator. Which is something that Smith did a lot. Mm-hmm. But the omniscient narrator voice he uses, I would say Wagner actually adopts in later years. Mm. It's very interesting to see someone who's not Wagner writing in a forum that Wagner will ultimately bring on himself. Not in the same way, again, mm-hmm. the narrator is very clearly a Smith narrator in that first story mm. uh, and has Smith's cadence. Smith. Honestly, especially at this point in his career, could not help himself but overwrite the captions. It's it's one of the joys of his writing from this yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, but he is he's overwriting the shit out of those captions. Mm-hmm. There, there's you know it, it's it's not it's pulled back here. For example, it's pulled back in almost all of his dread work. You know, even in Devil and Wa, he pulls it back. But if you go look at something like Indigo Prime, which is essentially contemporaneous with this. Mm-hmm. He's gone to town. If you go and look at um, Firekind, which was a 2008 serial, which is roughly before, and it's essentially, I should say, Avatar, the James Cameron film, Avatar, is uh, is Firekind, mm. the, the John Smith, Paul Marshall story from 94. Wow. Um, but again, he's just written the shit out of the captions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what he did. Uh, it's one of, it is one of the joys of his work. Right. You know? But he, he has this omniscient narrator. And then later years, Wagner will start bringing in an omniscient narrator to his dread writing, which is, again, and maybe this is me just betraying my tastes, I find it a joy of his dread work. Yes. Well, I feel, I feel Wag because there are earlier examples of this where it's, where I think that Wagner and Grant have done something like this, where it's, it is. It's the omniscient narrator, but it's skewed towards the voice of the protagonist. Like there's a lot of the stuff uh, in in the Smith things where it's you know, man, will you look at those stars? Ain't often you see a sky like that in the Big Meg. 
hard and sharp and far away, like Kundo feels sometimes in the Velvet Underground. Like it's a very, it's it's right in there, but it's also far away. And I feel like Wagner and Grant had experimented with that because honestly, in all their years of working on Dread, they kind of tried everything. But one of the, one of the joys of the first story is I'm like. Is this Wagner? Because it feels it feels willing to experiment. And again, my big thesis that I've developed over the last three or four issues uh, episodes of Drock is that Wagner is interested in characters outside Dread that most of the writers who follow him so far have missed. Right? Like even. Even Miller, Morrison, like they're entertaining, but there's still there's still nothing outside of Dread, and that oh no, it's it's very much you know we're writing Judge Dread, and maybe there'll be someone else, but they're there to support Dread, right? Like I, the fact that you and I have talked about the influence of Eisner's spirit, and and you know it kind of feels to me like every once in a while you'll catch it, but more often than not, whenever I pick up a um, somebody else redoing spirit stories, I'm like, oh, right. They're all just kind of fo- fixated on the spirit, you know? And I I get it. I kind of get why you would just jump on Judge Dredd and the first thing you want to do is tell stories about Judge Dredd. But I do like how much the Jigsaw Killer story is is a story, is about getting inside the head of a serial killer. Um, a fucked up serial killer and kind of doing a real it's it's a disposable story but it's but it's fun. It, does, it, it does a good job yeah it really like it does, does. Mm-hmm. you get it's as i said like i think the smith is one of the closest to, arguably the closest to come to wagner mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. because he does understand that dread works best as as a character in the story Right. Not as the character in the story. Right. And so you do have the wonderfully ridiculous Jigsaw Killer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, like, the, the gimmick of it is, mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And honestly, the LaDonna story as well. Oh, super, super is, ridiculous. Is yeah. ridiculous in the best way. And, all, yeah. and the resolution of that story in particular is... I, I genuinely love the resolution of the LaDonna story because it is at once smart and funny and cruel yes no it's it's actually yeah of those Mm -hmm. feels like that's one of the things that maybe go oh this might be wagner right right exactly because honestly i think you're right that's actually maybe a really good you know that thing about how they talk about um in hollywood like the special the special effects houses are always like what is it it's like um you can have it fast, you can have it cheap, or you can have it good. Pick two, you know. Yes. And 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 you're right. I feel like just about everyone else apart from Wagner can do two out of the three. They can do funny, they can do smart, and they can do cruel. And most people really try to aim to do can only really funny hit. And cruel. Yeah, exactly. Funny and cruel. But but the thing that is the thing that is. Um, fun about the last page of the LaDonna story is how much it um if nothing else it's daring enough to kind of break the dread uh mythos like that's a weird like 
It's never been mentioned before, will never be mentioned again, but is such a a funny, weird solution that work that is that that feels that really feels like classic two thousand AD. I think. Yes, yes, you know? it is. It is so. It is really funny. We should explain what it is. So, Madonna is essentially Madonna. She is, you know, her fans are, are absolutely wild for her. They need to essentially end the threat of her mm-hmm. because she she is inciting an uprising. And so, what they do is they they stick her in what they end up calling it time stretcher. Yeah. So she does her thirty year sentence. In like an afternoon, yes, and she comes out thirty years older. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, which is again, it is. It's even the name Time Stretcher feels very old school two thousand eighty. Mm-hmm. But it's you know it goes beyond that because her agent slash husband is like, you know, I'm gonna sue you, and dress like, no, you're not, because her contract was for five years, and this is thirty years later. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's this wonderful one-two punch of like, oh, fuck, that's really great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it, in a way, it just, I'm not as crazy about the LaDonna story as you are, um, honestly, in part because it is, it's dread at his most Puritan scold, I think. Yes, yes. And, and so. Which I, which I think is very intentional, I should say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But I, but I also feel like, there's a lot of construction to the story. It leans very heavily on either having a very, um, a, a not either not a very sharp, uh, a solid grasp on dread or really it's in there to make the story work. You know? Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's at least a couple of points where dread is not dread. Yeah. Exactly. You know, in order to make the story work, but I still, I still really like it because I like, I like both the Madonna parody, mm-hmm. and I like the solution. Yes. Lot. Yeah, a lot. No, both it... of them are mm-hmm. unsubtle enough mm-hmm. to feel appropriate for one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it it does it works, and then the story that follows it, which unfortunately I've got the. Let's see if I've got the name of it on this other laptop. Oh, it's the Hottie, it's the Hottie House mm-hmm. uh, Siege. Right. Which is which is really just stupid and great. And um because it's it's the it's a religious cult known as Moronism that believes that because ignorance is bliss, um everybody who's a member of the cult ends up giving themselves progressive lobotomies and becomes dumber and dumber and and so the morons taking over the hot dog stand and becoming this standoff it's just all it's just all dumb comedy but it's so well done i i really did adore it great yeah i legitimately love that story it might be my favorite story in the volume i get it uh and also it's a story that i mean it's, it's wagner but it's Wagner being dumb, which I feel like we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, it's a it's a silly one off. Yeah, but also it's showing that Wagner has gotten used to writing in the magazine lengths, mm. which I think is something he'd been struggling with before. Interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, because it, it feels perfectly paced. Mm-hmm. I think Wagner has, you know, there's the mechanismal uh, multi-parter, but otherwise Wagner is more or less writing one-offs and silly one-offs in the magazine. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of the return of Slim Dickens, which is amazing. Uh, 
<laughs> but, uh, but I like, with the exception of the one, the sort of Gandhi ripoff. Yeah. I uh, think, which I think is 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 just is is bad, but also is like borderline offensive at the same time. Oh like, yeah, very it, much. It's so. it's a, a really sour note. Mm-hmm. I think I love Wagner's silly one-offs, mm-hmm. and I think that it shows that he has gotten used to writing these longer stories and making them work in terms of just having enough in there. I think Claudia Have Siege is a great story. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the the one that um, ends up following it, the you know who is the the Al Capone story? I think it's called. Is is actually kind of even though it's really dumb and obvious, I think it's really enjoyable. <clears throat> and the ending kind of got me. I was like, oh, oh, right. I should have seen that coming. Of course, yeah, the guy, right. who, yeah, is so good. And like you said, the slim, the return of Slim Pickens is is excellent oh my goodness it is so good because especially because i'm like wait 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 this seems so familiar i know this character shit and i had to go online and of course i think i had the perfect experience which is literally between part one and part two i went and reread the original slim dickens story and went oh right and then and then it just it just makes everything perfect like that story is just just really delightful the egghead story that follows it is um i think pretty lame but oh but okay you know whatever and then when you get into the return of now did you not like this return of mechanismo um i like it but i like it the least of all of the original mechanismo trilogy Mm. Mm -hmm. i feel that it's it where it succeeds for me is sort of the bigger mythology part of it. The which bigger, sort of, it's so, yeah. It sows the seeds that Dread is turning against Magruder. Yes, no. I mean, it's. I mean, one of the things that actually bothers me about it is it's a. It's to me, it kind of comes out of nowhere. The fact that, like, even though it's established in Mechanismo that Magruder has is doing things that dread doesn't improve, uh, doesn't approve of. And one of them is putting these robot judges out on the street when it turns out that, that Magruder's still working on it in this story. Dread literally says like, okay, you've gone too far. I know you've always had mental problems, but they've been, you know, excusable as far as I'm concerned because your judgment's been solid, but you've gone too far. You know, you've got to step down. And, and, and Magruder's like, mm, request denied, you know. Um, and at the rest of the story becomes this very weird kind of paranoia infused, like dreads like, I've got to shut down this program you know, I've got to stop Magruder from succeeding because it will give her the chance to consolidate her power um, and then we're fucked. And the flip side is Magruder literally turning around being like, we've got to catch, we've got to shut this whole problem down before Dread does because he's going to try and make a fool out of, uh, out of us, you know? And it's it's a little, it would be one thing if, Honestly, again, if if Wagner had been and Wagner and Grant back in the good old days 
would have kind of sown the seeds for that, I think, a little better. Again, in that kind of uh, just the same way I spent a lot of um, reading Inferno kind of being like, ah, what would have been? I was like, it would have been pretty nice if we'd gotten it. If nothing else, a story from Magruder's point of view way back when, like way back when, over the last two or three years, where you see as the chief judge, she is making some really hard decisions that Dredd has the luxury of not having to make, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because when it gets to this point of the two of them basically being like, okay, you know, you've had, you've got to go. Okay, I can't get rid of you because of the politics of the situation, but I know that you're going to, you know, it's only a matter of time before one of us fucks over the other. Is a great status quo change, but it does. It comes out of nowhere. Really out of nowhere. Well, and it's it, really and, a bomb. And that's effect. one of the problems that you have when, like, Wagner is one of five writers mm-hmm. in Dread, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, in the old days where Wagner is the only one writing, he could see this right in in the current days i feel like there's more coordination between writers so they can build off right of what each other is doing but at this period it does feel like it's out of nowhere i'm not sure it's entirely out of nowhere i think the seats for this were in the second mechanismo you know arguably in the first i mean but yeah it's, it's sort of lost when there's like a year between the last mechanism on this but i mean uh, the, in that year yeah. You're right. There's been nothing. Do you know what I mean? Let's put at it. At no other point has any has Magruder seemed anything other than like you know wacky. Well, I think I think actually Magruder's made some tough choices, and honestly, this episode has Magruder talking in the first person plural that had originally been part of her character when she returns in Necropolis initially, along with the beard. And then that more or less disappears, in part because Wagner more or less disappears as yes, well. Yes, exactly. But I, for me, I'm just sort of I feel that that Dread and Wag that Dread and Magruder have more or less treated each other as equals, and there have been plenty of times, such as Mechanismo, where they disagree, but you never really get to that level of openly distrusting each other yeah exactly where one of them's like okay this is a sign that they're going to turn into a power mad like they've they've gone over the edge and we and they have to be stopped and the flip side the other person being like oh dreads dreads gonna he's gunning for me is gonna take me down you know like before they were but, weirdly but the closest arguably... of equals uh-huh. But arguably, you've got the signs of that way back when, immediately post Necropolis, because you have other judges being like, "Wait, she's talking about herself in the third person, and in and plural, like she's she's nuts, and she does make really fucking weird decisions, right? That are, are called out. The problem is that, that essentially gets dropped for two years. It gets dropped, and it's also, um, I think, to me. There's a lot to be said for the idea that Magruder is not. It's that's also happening happening in a in a very ambivalent stage of like 
kind of a little bit of like, right, she's crazy, but more or less what Necropolis has shown is, is that the system needs to change. And she really could be the best person to make a change. So in that sense, there's a, it's like her beard. Like how much of that is kind of shorthand affectation, you know, for she's an offbeat character and how much of that is literally the sowing the seeds of, well, it's all, you know, it's only a matter of time before this happened. You know what I mean? Like I would have appreciated two or three other things. And again, part of me is kind of like, I don't necessarily think that Magruder is wrong, which is another kind of problem when they immediately jump to this stage of the two of them, particularly dread being like, okay, like you're going to have to go. I've got to get rid of her. Yeah, exactly. That itself seems weirdly out of character for dread as well. Weirdly enough, I like, I like it. I like it in part because I know where the story ends up going Mm -hmm. and it goes there very slowly. Right, and and a part of that is Magruder does do some more questionable things, shall we say? Right. Well, uh, yeah. It, it, part the... of it is also part of me is like I think it's very interesting that you side with Magruder. Well, so yes, but but also like yeah. I like in general, mm-hmm. I like the idea that mm, the dread is that. Is very much at the odds with the chief judge. Right. Not just like, I disagree with you, like it was with Silver. Mm-hmm. But it's the point where he's like, I think they're dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I, and I'm, I'm, basically, I'm basically into that as well. And like you said, if this was done in a structured, long-form kind of way. But l- let's put it this way. When Magruder, when it more or less comes out in Inferno... That Magruder is like, yeah, we came across an alien virus and we were literally testing it as a bioweapon on former judges on Titan. And Dred's like, sounds about right. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm kind of like the whole robot judge kind of element is another one that's sort of like, like you said, there's little bits and calls and shout outs to Dred's distrust of robots or whatever. But ultimately, in a way, it's like. Uh, there, there's, there's just, there's no finesse in here, and 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 it, but to me, it's, it makes it's the sudden, the suddenness. Yeah, me. and it, and it's a shame because I do think that what's great is the idea of having Dread and Magruder end up at loggerheads, and even seeing the way in which it is seeded into their characters. Like honestly, for me, the problem isn't the setup; it's just that it is. It's so just comes out of nowhere. And even though you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, here and here and here and here. I'm like, it's just not it to me. It's, again, just not seated correctly. And also we're kind of getting into the area that that we this is three or four volumes into having, like you said, having other writers on dread. And so essentially one of the joys of the first year of doing this podcast with you is watching uh, essentially the tone of, yeah the, to, the 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 tone congeal and essentially one writer slash one team of writers Wagner and Grant working in tandem and 
doing something that felt almost ridiculously freeform where part of your confusion for the reader is like, wait, you know, more or less, is this canon? Is this not canon? Like, this is a goofy story. This is a serious story. This is a mythos story. This is a one-off. And of course, Wagner and Grant being like, no, guess what? Three years later, it's the goofy story that we're going to come back to. And we're going to turn into part of mega city lore so that you're always going to have this, you know? And, and so there's a, there's a delight to the reader trying to more or less have the canon be shaken up by somebody that, by two people that they more or less, you know, as you read on, earn your trust. And unfortunately, what happens is after Wagner leaves and you get Ennis in there, but honestly, you see it with Miller and you see it literally in Inferno, you begin doing something that I feel all, that is closer to what comic book readers, particularly American superhero comic book readers, do all the time in their head anyway, which is kind of, this, this, this counts this is going to be forgotten about. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is in character that's out of character. This is far enough out of character, but it shows you a new light on the character that, it, that it now works and is the character like mm -hmm. that malleability that you have. Um, I know this is something that we've talked about, not in Drock, but in, in the regular podcast is uh, Edie always finds it hilarious when people, she hears people, and we don't hear this as often, but her, hear people talking about how the real Batman wouldn't do that. And, mm -hmm. and trying, like, I know why it's hilarious for her, and it is, but there's also that, that thing in which the person saying that does not believe that Batman is real, but that is a very specific way of shorthanding what the commonly accepted understanding of the character is. You know what I mean? And again, that is the, I think one of the joys and investment of being a, a comic book reader of, of being a comic book reader of serialized fiction is having your expectations, hopefully challenged and stretched and snapped. Um, and I do realize like, oh yeah, it's kind of sad to see even in Wagner, where I thought that I was going to be kind of safe, having Magruder and Dread and just me being like, wait, this comes out of nowhere. And now I've got a, now this is canon shit. Okay. And also <laughs> in that weird way, also kind of like having to ignore part of Inferno where again, you know, where here in Mechanismo, Dread is like a uh, robot judge outrageous. You have to quit as opposed to human experimentation on former judges on Titan. Okay. Sounds fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like I'm, I'm having to pick and choose in a way that should be liberating, but is a little bit of a drag. I feel bad. I'm like, Oh no, Jeff, <laughs> I just brought you on to another one of these then. <laughs> um, it's it's funny. I think at some point, for a better way of putting it, like Wagner becomes like dreadhead writer. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. the, so the canon stuff, the, the big stuff comes from Wagner and other people play sure. in the peripheries and do ma- gr- many great things in the peripheries. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and to be fair, I don't, I don't, I'm, it, it's just, it, and what happens is we are moving into an area and it makes sense that we would. It's an inevitability. When Wagner leaves, like, you you had it in a little bit in Ennis, but not much because Ennis was literally doing, it was kind of a fly in amber. Ennis didn't want to risk changing Dread because he was too respectful of Dread, And so his stories, I mean, there's other things. It also meant that he had to rely on a lot of things that aren't necessarily his strong suit, such as, you know, his sense of humor, or at least how his sense of humor aligns with the the sense of humor in the Judge Dredd strip. But ultimately, it's just kind of like, I know it will get better and it will snap into shape, but I re- that classic, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Like, I'm surprised yeah. that three or four volumes in, I'm, I'm realizing, oh, right, part of what is, part of what I've lost is never having to kind of go, oh, this story counts, this story doesn't count, because I literally ha- had enough faith that the people writing I, it could tell me and I could believe them. Okay, I'm, I'm curious. What do you mean by count and doesn't count? I guess, I guess literally, because, again... again, theoretically, everything's quote-unquote continuity? Yeah, everything's in continuity, but how do I put it? Like, when, when Dread is out of character in a story like like the LaDonna story is a story that happened and more or less counts it most of the stuff in it I assume you never see the time stretcher again you never see LaDonna again you never really end up in that particular set of positions again so you can enjoy it while you read it and if someone figures out a way to bring those characters back or do something clever with it, it's great. I guess what I'm just saying is is that that there are ways in which the character of Dread or the Meg or Magruder or whomever um, are are things <laughs> to to tie it all back in. It's kind of like the law, you know. The law is is not a is not a static thing, and it it's a construct. But the other thing that I think is I realized again in in sort of looking and thinking about Dread today is one of the things that's weird about Judge Dread is for a story that's about the law, the law never really seems to grow and change in the stories. It's not like someone turns around and passes a quote-unquote law where using Boeing is suddenly legal. You know what I mean? Like, and I, it, excuse me, because it's quite possible that in all the decades of Dread that I haven't read that this actually is a huge cornerstone story. But up until now, it's kind of like, the judges know what's right and wrong. They have the, the you know, the law books in their brain but the law is it's because it's kind of a comic strip superhero gimme it really doesn't act like the law acts in our world which is to say that the the, the law is 
a living, growing thing as a construct. It changes over time. There's arguments that happen. There's an entire system that's set up to decide, you know, how how cases are decided based on the legal precedent. And every once in a while, people will turn around and be like, this case changes precedent because what we realized is to say this means that, right? So there's... Is, is the closest that Dredd has come to this so far the democracy vote? I, well, I... In the, the, the discussion of yeah. uh, structure of of Mega City One of of the the, the world is is at yeah. least uh, is at least a discussion is at least a, an option. Well, the, the idea that things yeah. might change. Right. I ask this in part because like laws will change in dread. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. That is good to know because so far it doesn't it doesn't really seem like <clears throat> the laws change in a way. What happens is the democracy stuff is about how they are governed changes but i don't know how to put it like that changes the framework of the laws or it might change the way the laws are administered but it doesn't necessarily change the law the way that you know back in 1912 it was illegal for a man to marry a horse and they had to put that on the record for some reason you know there's lots of laws that we've forgotten about, and there's lots of laws that have had to grow and develop and and change. Um, so, like I said, in in Inferno, there is a it's a huge empty epic, um, in part because I realized like one of the things that Morrison points to, and as you said, probably just in a way of taking the iconography and the catchphrases and figuring out ways to to tweak them and come at a new angle is. You know, who is the law? I am the law. You are the law. What is the law? Is it a place? Is it a building? It's a construction. Similarly, characters like comic book continuity is a construct and it is a it's a living construct. And that really does mean that it's in our brains. It's incredibly organic the way that we shape it. So Inferno happens there's things in it that could relate to later. There could be things that I can take from it as a reader personally, but there's also things that I drop out. Like in my brain, it, there's, there's kind of a, Oh, this works. This doesn't work. This works. That's dread. That's not dread. The dread would yeah. do this. Dread would do that, you know? And so you kind of are sort of mentally sifting all of the it's, time. It's the headcanon of the American superhero. Yeah, right? exactly. We all have That's our headcanon. Yeah. yeah. And part of the part of the joys of comic book fandom is when you meet someone that has the same interests in you as you or even agrees on, you know, their Sp- the Spider-Man in their head is never going to be 100% your Spider-Man, but if you find someone for whom you're 98% there, and and similarly to the law, if you have a lawyer who can sit down and argue a case, in a way, here I go, I've got the grand theory. The readers are the judges, you know what I mean? And the writers and the artists and the editors make the case for who the character is. And a really talented creator can make a case for a character that completely will make you go like, oh, that's not how I saw Spider-Man before, 
but I see how that interpretation of Spider-Man is valid. I'm going to allow it, you know, as opposed to, no, I'm throwing this case out of court. You know, like the the case of the spider clones has been, you know, dismissed. Everyone's found guilty, you know? And um, I think I think that there is there is something that that is a cornerstone of a joy. But I do wonder if part, and, and that is also the problem of when people want to get into established comic book characters, they're like, where do I start, you know? Cause, and it's also kind of like what counts and it's kind of like, uh, you kind of gotta, hmm, at a certain point you can go back and backtrack, but there's also points where, where the things are so multifaceted, you're kind of like, well, what kind of X-Men story do you want to read? What kind of Batman do you like? And I'll, I'll find you that. And then maybe if you enjoy that enough and you keep reading you know, the joy of being an indiscriminate comic reader is you get to assemble your version of what that character is, as opposed to when someone comes in and is like, I'm interested in this character. Who are they? And you're like, uh, well, I have bad news for you. Like there, there's 450 issues of this character. They're everyone and no one, you know? So, um, is, is that not partially just, Sort of the curse of the long-running character, though. Oh, absolutely. And especially something like Dread, which, yeah. in theory, just, like, continues and isn't doesn't get a reboot. Right, right. Well, and, and I think one of the things that is... Yes, that is, that is... That's one of the challenges, and I would say that up to a certain point, the longer that the character can go on and you get new stuff or interesting stuff or there's something about the character that they that the creators can quote unquote stay true to while doing new things with is um like a it's an increasing tightrope act the 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 the, the, the stakes are get larger exponentially the longer the character goes on and then at a certain point you know, I feel you start getting diminishing returns and then you start thinking about reboots and things. I think, I think weirdly enough, they're having articulated all this. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Dread is, ends up being fantastic as a long running character because the character itself and the conception of the character is rarely so spelled out as to be explicit and therefore the field of what the character represents or might be um, as time goes on is able to narrow in a way that feels like an exciting tightening of focus rather than a diminishing of returns i don't know sure. i'm not sure oh, yeah. i mean the, the strange thing about dread uh sort of the meta text of dread mm -hmm. is that dread is creatively very focused for the first 10 12 years mm -hmm. of its uh, life because it is essentially two writers in charge of everything right then wagner uh, wagner grant split up but also grant essentially leaves and Wagner essentially leaves and it passes into the hands of multiple people right. for another 
eight or so years. Mm-hmm. And while it never comes back to the core focus of just Wagner, mm-hmm. um, at some point Wagner seems to regain control mm-hmm. of the of the the larger narrative, mm-hmm. and then it it feels that it does get this not necessarily narrowing but focusing again. Mm-hmm. It's as if Dread loses focus for a while. Mm-hmm. All all the way through maybe the era of when Dread is a movie mm-hmm. the, for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it manages to to get back into focus. And I think is weirdly stronger after that point than mm-hmm. it was even at the height of right. Wagner Grant's Imperial period. Right. Well I th- I think I think the thing that you that is worth pointing out is you're absolutely right. But the, the amazing thing about Wagner and like, because you've got dread written by Wagner and Grant, it, it has that focus. And yet what's insane is when you look at it, that they're, they're just all over the map. You know what I mean? But because it's them, because it's them exploring their interests and their ways, there's a consistency to it. But that's one of the things that's insane about, like you said, that first 10, 12 years of, of Dread is is that it can be any... It's a comedy strip. It's a it's an adventure strip. It's a strip about Dread. It's a strip not about Dread. It's a strip about fascism. It's a strip that avoids even hinting that it's about fascism. Like, it's... In a way, it's... it's it, 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 to me, it feels all over the map and yet it's done with the confidence and skill of two skilled creators working remarkably in tandem and a huge slew of fabulous artists who are able to do just a ton with that but you know again even in that sort of way like you know it's funny that we're following dread that drock follows on the heels of baxter building because for us reading the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, one of the things that's crazy about it is from the time that Joe Sinnott takes over inking Kirby full time, that book has works overtime to have a visual consistency on it for decades until more or less Byrne comes in and as writer artist and and gets Sinnott off the book as Inker. Like Joe Sinnott gives the Fantastic Four a visual identity. And one of the things that's kind of amazing about, I think about Dread is by the time you get to this point in the character, there's so many different interpretations of Dread and Mega City One. You know, it's still recognizable, but that's really where there's a tremendous amount of play and invention and, you know, the painted exaggeration, exaggerated period, even as much as I don't like it, is such an identifiable period of dread and identifiably dread, the same way that Boland's tight delineation, McMahon, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just, um, dread manages to contain multitudes for such a long time, I think, visually in part because you've got Wagner Grant kind of doing their thing. And yeah. then and then part of the free fall is just the sheer chaos that follows. Um and it it'll be exciting to see it cohere, especially it, it it's it's 
yeah. feels exciting as a reader to see to, for the idea of coherence is a good word like for for it to become coherent again for mm-hmm. once better, mm-hmm. you know yeah but at the time it's like yeah this was an inc- such a relief of a volume compared to the last two or three case files um but yeah there is a part of me where it's kind of like i found myself in part because it was like oh right slim dickens that rings a bell and i broke open volume 10 which is you know case files 10 where he first appears and i was just flipping is it 10 i yeah it is it's it's i I can double check but yeah it's 10 is his first appearance i think Unless I'm wrong and it's his second appearance. But that didn't have anything as great as Slim Dickens' cross-dressing as a splash page. Oh, I love that. Especially the the alarmed, he's cross-dressing! Like, that is, arg. Yeah, no, I mean, you take your highlights. But there's also flipping through 10, and 10 isn't necessarily the strongest stuff. But I still found myself being like, shit, this is so good. Like, there's so much consistent, like, just kind of flipping through it, being like, oh, that was a good story. That was a good story. Shit, I should go back and try and reread all of these case files because I love some of this stuff and it's slowly fading into the periphery of my brain now. So, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let me just say that if you're going to ask Graham, and I think the reader, the listeners will not be surprised, I would say that uh, Case Files 19 is not, is Drock, not Dross, and is it's worth your time. It's a surprise, time. isn't it? Yeah. I think, I, uh, I think it's Drock as well. I think it's, I'm surprised that I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, but I think it is. And part of it might be grading on a curve. Because yes. last few volumes have been have been quite as bad as they are. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, like, if this volume had followed, like, volume 10... Yes, we we would be much much harsher on it. Absolutely, but at the same time, it does feel like it does feel better. Mm-hmm. It does feel better than we've had. Yeah, yep, um, I, I agree. So so hooray, I guess. Yes. Uh, what's your favorite story? Uh, that is a really good question. Oh, it was it's it's uh it's whatever the the hot dog wiener. The, the hot dog heist. Yeah. I was shocked. I did. I posted a screenshot on Twitter without context of that because I, part of it cracked me up so much. And I remember thinking like, Graham's going to give me shit for liking this. I just know it. So, you know, um, it's, it's the right flavor of dumb. Yeah, exactly. You know, it is, it, it's the, it's smart dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not that it's probably the LaDonna strip to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I see that. I'm I'm trying to think what my runner up would be if it if it wasn't um if it if it wasn't the 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 weenie heist one. It may be oh, I don't think that it would be the LaDonna one. Um No, I think I like that much more than you did. Yeah, I think so. It'd probably be the return of Slim uh Slim Dickens. Uh Slick Dickens, sorry. The whole Slim Pickens, Slick Dickens thing keeps throwing me off. But yeah, there's so much that I enjoy out of... By the time you get to the end of it, it, it it's 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 almost like a Roadrunner cartoon is what I kept finding myself thinking of for whatever reason. Like, it's just so... Um, it's just... It's... Yeah, 
I I did. I like that. Do you did you want to pick your your least favorite story in here? Because I know there's some, uh, yeah, a lot of challenges. Easily, mm. it's a killer easily for me. It, it's it's like the 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 what was he called Johnny Kiss? Like yeah. the story is terrible. Yes, it absolutely. really is. Yeah. It's it's complete wankery. Yeah, but music killer is is even worse. Yes, yeah, it, I agree. It, it's a uh, just embarrassing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let me see. How the hell I did this classic um, thing where I screwed up my viewer now, and it's like, oh, sure, I'll show you a scrolling view of all the pages. I'm like, no, you fucker, just show me my goddamn book. Um, I think for me, the weakest one is that uh, that horrible Mark Miller Sinosiv, like ridiculously racist one. In part because it wastes some really gorgeous art, um, you know. But but boy, do I I I loathe the Johnny Kiss one too. So. It's a it's a real tough call. It's so bad. It's yeah. So bad. Yeah. Yeah. But Ennis really does manage to go out in a low note, doesn't he? Well, I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, part of me is like, did he have a high note? You know, like I don't, I don't really. I don't think he did, but I also don't think like I, I don't think he even vaguely redeemed himself by the end. No, I don't think so either. Although I do think the chieftain was one of his better pieces of like here's dread versus another tough hard dude yeah but it's also dread versus another hard dude yeah no i know but it's it's kind of like i'm like well at least he's getting a little bit better at it you know but but it's still weak it says a lot where i'm like yeah but it's i mean and the art's gorgeous but it's no judge tyrannosaur you know what I mean? So it really says something. Very I know sad. that was very close for you as, as the, the best one. You know, I, I have to say it really wasn't in the running, but Judge Tyrannosaur has something that is so close to the classic monorail episode of The Simpsons that I'm kind of down with it. I It's it's kind of fun in yeah. such a dumb way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, I have to say that, that this 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 particular episode talking with you about it really makes me want to hunt up the dread daily strips um it makes it sound like those might be because there have definitely been uh listeners have jumped in on the comments before and really encouraged us to I talk mean, about dread, them and read them dread daily is uh wagner Grant for yeah. the longest time yeah 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 no and and i kind of get it Part of me was kind of like, because eh, I know in some cases they're retelling stories as well. They're they're sort of doing their welcome for at least. I'm not sure how many of the others are retellings. Yeah, so part of me was like, eh, really, eh. but now I'm kind of like, yeah. There's something about sort of snappy, peppy, shorthanded brain theft in Mega City One. I'm like, okay, you know, the latest crime fad. I'm like. Yes, anyone who talks about <laughs> yes, I, that's what I want. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm so yeah. Judge Tyrannosaur, I, I wish I could pretend it rated lower than it does in my heart, but it, it's up there. Jeff, I've got some good and some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. are you ready? Yes. Netstruck is going to be another restricted files. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because I think we've caught up. I mm. could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I've I've been this. This is how utterly sort of 
pathetic I am, I have actually been paying attention to the publication dates of the the issues and the publication dates of the restricted files. And I think, I could be wrong, I think this volume is the latest of the restricted files. Wow. The next restricted files is like 90 through 93. Mm-hmm. And I think with the next case files, it goes through 94. Restricted case files. Hooray. Uh, so we're, we're heading back. I mean, I think there's some Washington Grand stuff in there still. Well, sure. No, um, exactly. But also, I think there's a, a ton of not good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Graham. I appreciate you keeping track of that stuff. I appreciate you making us read terrible stuff. I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to say that that's not what I'm saying, but let's face it, it is. That's that's 100% what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah, so we're doing uh, Restricted Files Volume 3 next time, mm-hmm. which is a bunch of stuff. It's a bunch of stuff from 2080 annuals and then 2080 yearbooks because they change formats at some point. Mm-hmm. Dread annuals and dread yearbooks and the, the various seasonal specials. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, I think it's a weirdly crazy collection of, of creators in there as well. Hmm. Like I think Peter Milligan's in there. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's I I could be misremembering, but I want to say there's a Milligan strip somewhere in there. And there's Wagner. There's definitely Grant. Uh, I don't know if Ennis does them. Maybe he does. <laughs> like it's 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 a strange strange collection that we're going to be heading into. Right. And it might be the most wacky all over the place selection. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm also looking forward to in a weird way getting to some 1990 nostalgia now that we're in 93 <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange strange thing yeah I... Um, yeah I, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a weird next few episodes mm-hmm. because we're we're heading to the point where like Wagner is more present but simultaneously 2000 AD is 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 kind of left rudderless for a bit mm. You've got the Alan McKenzie's writing some. You've got Miller writing a bunch. You've got Miller and Morrison co-writing a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say there's one point where like John Smith's writing some episodes in 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Like we, it, it, there's a point, there's at least one or two where there's a bunch of writers, like a whole host of writers mm-hmm. in the volume. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. It's. It's an adventure. Oh. <laughs> Graham, do you, do you want to do the uh, start the wrapping of the upping? I am going to start the wrapping of the upping. Uh, this is a drug, which means there's going to be show notes for this episode up at some point on Monday after this goes up uh, at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Again, I wish I could give you uh, a more direct answer of when on Monday. It's some point on Monday. It depends on how absolutely ludicrous my Monday gets. Um, there may also, at some point in all of our lifetimes, be more posts on waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. Again, we'll see just how crazy these COVID times <laughs> get and, and also the election times and basically oh, how distracted I get yeah. in the next few weeks. I really do have intentions of posting. I promise you I do. It's just making it happen. It's not always easy and not always the, uh, the top thing on my, my list of to-dos. But I promise I'm thinking of it. It's, it's fondly in my memory. 
Uh, otherwise, you can find us on Twitter at Wait What Podcast. Jeff Lester is on Twitter at LazyBastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D, and I am on Twitter at Graham M G R A E M E M. And Drock exists because we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff Lester is going to talk to you right now like this. Yes. Hey everyone. Uh, I know that I have a tendency to uh, to to expound at length. Um, in, in these closing minutes, I'm going to keep it close, uh, kind of tight. I'm hoping, uh, in part because I feel like I kind of went off on a one or two tangents during the recording of this episode and also because I'm frankly starving. So I, I would love to, to actually go get something to eat so that my stomach doesn't chew me up alive. That being said, we're incredibly grateful to you, our listeners, for keeping us focused all these years. Um, especially super shout out to the kind folks at Patreon for throwing us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. Drock, just like uh, Baxter Building before it, exists um, specifically thanks to you. It would not be here otherwise. So um, we really, uh, I owe you a huge debt because the voyage, uh, the odyssey that is... Um, moving through the history of Judge Dredd has been uh, inspiring to me in many, many ways. I uh, want to give a special shout out and thank you to Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're super grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and their defense of this corner of the celestial realm. We thank you very much, all of you. Whew, Graham? That really was astonishingly quick. I know, Jeff. for me, I know, right? <laughs> What's even happening, Jeff Lester? <laughs> Truly, you must be hungry. I'm um, so glad that I finished up in time so you had extra time to mock me, Graham. That's excellent. That's, that's the way it works, Jeff. Uh, we are going to be back next week with a regular Wait What? And in the meantime, because it's Drock, Jeff sings us out. Indeed. Uh, I guess this is the part where I say, Drock, report to the ISO Cube, citizen. Until our next episode.